Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello again, this is Sam Matterface and welcome to Upfront with Ellen White. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine, the centre forward, as we try and find out what it takes to be a top flight striker. Bronze, Paris, Paris in behind the defence, into the area. Ellen White is there to tap it in and she scores. On this episode, we'll discuss the career-defining goals, the sacrifices that Ellen had to make and the feeling of scoring on the biggest stage of them all, the World Cup Finals. Beth Mead of Arsenal brings it down. Tries to run at O'Hara, produces a really good cross. Here's Ella White, and she scores! Ella White hits back for England. You're listening to Upfront with Ellen White and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. My guest today has been a goal scorer ever since joining Chelsea at 16. 21 goals, 48 games at the Blues. 21 goals in 19 at Leeds before moving to Arsenal, Notts County, Birmingham and Manchester City. She's also an Olympian as well. Hello, Ellen White. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, there were fewer things that were hotter than the weather in France in 2019, uh, but your goal scoring might have been one of them. It was a miraculous summer, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was a, it was a pretty mental summer, to be honest. It, it feels like forever ago as well now, um, but I'm always happy to talk about the summer of 2019, <laughs> so it's a good one. Uh, were you always a number nine in the sense that were you always a centre forward? I think growing up, um, I was always a centre forward, number nine for my, you know, local boys team, for my school team. Um, my dad was my coach, so in centre of excellence Arsenal, I was always the nine. And then as you know, my career got, I got a little bit older, and I started to kind of get put in kind of seven or eleven. I also got put into kind of ten. But you know, for for some of the teams like Arsenal, for instance. I wanted to play for Arsenal and whether that was playing seven or 11 or playing out wide, I wanted to put that jersey on and play for, for Arsenal. That that was the same with England in the seniors. I started at number nine, but then kind of got pushed out wide a little bit, but I wanted to play for my country. So, um, What do you think of when you hear people talk about the number nine, the centre forward being that, that focal point? How do you see that role? I think there's just so many different aspects to a number nine and so many different players uh, that make number nine there kind of role I was definitely thinking about this and thinking you know for instance you could say like Peter Crouch he was the one that you kind of 
not lump the ball up to him, but he's more like a hold-up play. But then he's got that technical ability and a great finisher. Then you've got someone like Jamie Vardy who wants to run in behind and frighten defenders. And then you've got someone like Rude van Nistelrooy. Ball and will it come down for him off crossbar in a van Nistelrooy. It counts. United lead 2-0. He's lazy as anything, but deadly in the 18-yard box. Yeah, there's so many aspects to it. Timing, finishes. Um, so there's just so many aspects to it. You talked about timing and finishing and movement. And yeah. I just wonder how much of that you think is important, which you place greater significance on. I think, well, they're hugely important. Um, timing, I think, is a real art to try and find um, and to train as well. There's a lot of training that goes into that, a lot of hours on the field of getting the right timing of not only your movement, but the way that you come onto a ball, whether that's a heading, whether that's your finishing with your foot, your knee, do you know what I mean, anything. Um, the timing of that run to, to be on side um, and linking up with your teammates as well is really important. But I've, I've done a lot of training for that, that type of thing of trying to get the right movement and trying to get the right timing of those balls coming into the box. And timing is really key. And is it more key now that VAR is in the game? I, obviously, we'll talk a little bit more in detail about <laughs> VAR later on. But um, in, in terms of when you're in a game which has VAR, do you have to be ultra careful? Do you change your game? Does it? You, do you have to adapt in any way? Thanks for bringing up VAR. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't necessarily think I've had to change my game. You have to be more precise and more diligent in being not offside, basically, and not giving the referee, the linesman, woman, that chance to potentially go to VAR. Um, and I think, again, it comes back to the timing and your movement and working through that in training and being really precise and making it so important in your training. I mentioned about how the number nine shirt has often been associated with being a centre forward. You wear 18 now, yeah. uh, especially with England. Is, is that one plus eight equals nine? Is there is there some yeah, sort of significance definitely. around that? Is there? Well, I think that's how Phil sold it to me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> obviously, yeah, I want to... I want to. I'd love to wear number number nine, is number nine. But I think at the the end of the day, it, it's a number at the same time. If you're playing that position, it's your position. It's not necessarily about what number you've got on the back of your shirt. So for me, I scored a few goals in it when he gave me eighteen, and it kind of stuck. He really likes eighteen, and then it's kind of stuck really. So I, I like it. It's I like the number. So you, have you ever kicked up a stink about not having the number nine though? I did have a bit of a go at him, to be fair, <laughs> at Phil. Um, I was kind of adamant that I wanted number nine, but I think you've got to take away from the fact that it is just a number and it's about the person wearing that number and what, what you can do with the different number. So, yeah, I, I did kind of have a bit of a go at him, but I think I saw the bigger picture, to be honest, and was happy with 18. And it done all right for me in the summer and it's done all right for me at Man City so far. So I'm happy with it. Um, okay, so let's warm up with a couple of quick fire questions if we can um yeah. get a sense of who Ellen White is um, what's your favorite goal yeah I was thinking about this actually I think it would probably be 2011 World Cup the goal I scored against Japan it was my first World Cup goal it's a lovely ball from Carrie and there may be a chance for White and she's lobbed the keeper brilliantly the first World Cup goal for Ellen White my mum and dad were there uh, they had their massive West Ham flag behind the goal um, and I went a bit crazy so that was my favourite one um, What do you think was your most important goal? It's a tough one You scored in cup finals cup. big semi-finals Oh yeah oh yeah I haven't thought about that Oh maybe it was a, when I scored the penalty for 
for Birmingham to take us to the FA Cup final. Um, I think that was a really important goal. I think you could see by the celebrations of the whole team as well how uh, much it meant to us all to be going to, to Wembley. So that would be a pretty important goal. Who's your favourite strike partner or do you like playing on your own? <laughs> I'd have to say Rach Williams. I've played alongside her at Notts County. I've played alongside her at Birmingham and also England. But she's such a an amazing kind of person. But on the pitch, she can be chaotic, mental. Like She's super fun. But she, she is an unbelievable player. She's so selfless. Um, so she'd be like one of the my favourite kind of strike partners. Another one would be like, I, I don't think I got to play alongside Jodie Taylor much. Um, and that would be one that I'd love to, to play alongside. You know, we've spoke about it before, like trying to, convince Phil to, to put us a, as a strike partnership but it didn't really work and then probably a, a big name would be like Kelly Smith here is Kelly Smith perfection she was an unbelievable number 10 when I was at, at England and it was a privilege to kind of play alongside her you literally the ball would be at your feet you she would know where you're running and it would just be there and she was a dream to play alongside who was your childhood hero this, this might make you laugh, actually. Um, so it was Gary Lineker and Edgar Davids. Bit, right. of, a weird, bit, bit of a weird combination of uh, footballers. <laughs> Gary Lineker, I just loved the way he used to finish. He was a, an out-and-out goal scorer, never got a book in. Loved that. I couldn't really live by that. And then Edgar times. Davids. Yeah. <laughs> and then Edgar Davids. I think because I wore glasses, he wore glasses. He was cool. I really loved the Holland team. They were unbelievable when I was growing up had his poster up on my wall and the way he played the game and I think he was just cool and yeah I think yeah I just like the way that he kind of held himself. What manager has got the best out of you? I think at my time at Birmingham I think Mark Skinner really uh, probably got we worked together really closely on being a number nine what it meant to be a number nine you know on the field training hours you know, timing, movement, finishing, you know, those awkward finishes where, you know, you, you're not going to get the perfect ball every time. Um, and I, I ended up top goal scorer for the, for the league in that season. But then I'd also say kind of Phil would, has had a big, big impact as well. Um, you probably have to, t- I have to say that because he'll, he'll get angry <laughs> if I didn't. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, he told me less running, Ellen, you know, be in the 18 yard box, be in front of the goal. It's easy things to say, but for me, I love running. I love you know, working hard for the team. I love, you know, getting involved. And I think that really came to fruition in the World Cup. And you could probably see that I probably did a little bit less running, but I was in the right place at the right time. And I think he worked really a lot with me on that. What was your m- worst miss? <laughs> I was thinking about, I was talking about my hus- with my husband about this. So I think I was in the under 16s for, for Arsenal. And I literally missed from in the goal. Um, and... <laughs> I, don't, I think I, I don't know. It was just absolutely mortifying. Yeah, I think I just thought that was in, and then I just got under the ball, and it went right over the bar, and I'm literally standing in the goal, and the ball's behind the net, and I'm just like, how has this even happened? Um, so, yeah, I think that the thing to take from that is always watch what you're doing and not presume that it's going in. I think that's the the main thing to take from that. Which defender was your toughest opponent? I think, thankfully, now she's on my team. I play alongside well on the same team as her Steph Horton um Mm. I hated playing against her obviously we're good friends but she's so good at reading the game knowing what I'm gonna do but yeah she was really frustrating to play against Uh, you guys hoping to uh line up 
together next summer for the Euro 2021 tournament. All that's been moved. Um, how, how much is the sort of idea of the calendar being rejigged going to affect you? I think the main thing is that, you know, the most important thing is that making sure everyone's safe and, you know, everyone's staying at home. And, you know, that that's the main priority at the moment is everyone's safe and everyone's doing the right things according to the government. And, you know, things will have to be jigged around and that's for the, the health and for the whole country really in the world. So I think that's the most important thing. You know, football's one thing, but the health and the lives of everybody else is, is the most important thing. So, yeah, if the calendar's changed, then that's absolutely fine. And, you know, that that's what will happen and we'll look forward to to it in in a different calendar year but you know it's big things to come and we're excited by it but the main thing is for us is that everyone's safe and well i bet you're excited by the fact that you could be playing a european championships on home soil i think that would be just crazy to be honest and uh, the stadiums that you know a lot of the england games will be played at are incredible and hopefully they'll be sellouts you know across the whole country it's going to be hopefully absolutely buzzing and um yeah for I've never played like a home tournament within within England, so um, that would just be incredible. And just having that that home support, it's it's another level, really. It's it, it's a it's a dream, to be honest. Some strikers are goal machines, some set themselves targets every season. Do you feel that goals are important to you or are you sort of classifying yourself as an unselfish team player first and goals come as a byproduct of that? Where, where do you fall? Probably the second one, to be honest. Um, I think I, I obviously love scoring goals. That's my job. Um, but I think for me, the first and foremost is working hard for my team uh, and anything I can do to contribute within the game, whether that's working hard, whether that's defending, whether that's, you know, assisting or moving or getting out of the way, you know, my movement to for someone else to, to score. I think that's probably the most important thing. And then if I can be in the right place at the right time to score and contribute, then that that's great. How did it start for you then? Because you hear stories, especially uh, with the women's teams, that, you know, a mum of one of the girls drives miles, gets a gets a van and just drags loads of them in there so that their daughter can play in a fledgling league somewhere where there actually is a team. Um, some girls started, as I think you did, playing with the boys when you were younger, but then yeah. were forced to stop. I know your dad was involved in the game. What was your journey prior to being picked up by Arsenal? So I basically started playing football in my back garden with my dad and my brother. My sister played a little bit as well. Um, and there wasn't much kind of football kind of sessions going on in, in the area that we lived for kind of youngsters, for like four-year-olds. So my dad set up a little soccer centre with one of his mates called Mini Ducks. Um, so I basically was just playing football with the boys, the local boys. Um, my dad put on sessions. And then I played for my local primary school team, which was, again, all boys. And my local boys team, which was Ellsby Town. And yeah, that was all basically before I got scouted for, for Arsenal. And I was eight when I got scouted for Arsenal at um, like a five-a-side or a seven-a-side tournament. And what were the boys like with you being one of the better on the team? <laughs> was it like, was it, was, it, was it sort of tough for you to fit into that environment, even at eight years of age? Or do you just not know any different at eight years of age? And that's probably the best thing about it. Yeah, I think hand on heart. I think it. I didn't know anything different. I thought that was the normal. Um, and, you know, I loved all the boys that were in the team. They were all really close friends of mine. They all kind of took me under their wing. Um, and, you know, when we used to play against other teams, you know, they'd 
they'd all kind of look at and be like, why have you got a girl on your team? Or And the parents would be like, mm, that's a bit weird. And then I'd kind of run through all and score and smash it in the back of the net and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they were all great. Uh, all the parents were the same, really. So, uh, yeah, I think the thing for me is that I was just so naive. I loved playing football. They were all my mates and we just had a great time. Which is the way it should be, really. Yeah, um, definitely. You went off to Arsenal. You were scouted at eight years of age. You were there for, I suppose, quite a long time, really, before going on to Chelsea. Why did you end up going off to Chelsea? Did Arsenal not want to take you on, or did Chelsea seem more attractive at the time? So, basically, um, we had some very, very good players at Arsenal. Unbelievable players. And I... Th- I think for me, I wasn't kind of guaranteed first team football. And also, um, I didn't really want to go to the academy. Uh, I wanted to do A-levels. So I made the decision to kind of move to Chelsea, uh, where, you know, if I worked hard, you know, to get first team football. And I also moved schools to do A-levels. Um, so it was kind of two big changes in my life, really. Um, and, you know, big changes for my career as well. because I wanted to play first team football. And Arsenal were really supportive of that as well. And, you know, welcomed me back with open arms um, a good few years later so I never kind of burned any bridges there but I think for me and my development I needed to go somewhere to um, to get out of my comfort zone as well I think. Um, Chelsea I take it was very different to the Chelsea we now see in terms of the yeah. women's game what was it like what was the differences what was the quality of coaching like in comparison to what we see now? To be honest, I had a great experience at Chelsea. I really enjoyed it. Um, we had a really, really young squad, which I think, uh, you know, worked really well for, for my development. You know, we, we were kind of underdogs most games and we were just all about working hard and, you know, working together and being a great team and team spirit. And, yeah, so it's a lot different now. Obviously, I think we trained kind of evenings. We trained at Cobham, though, at uh, the training ground. But, yeah, it was very different um, to what it is now and the players were very different. But for me and my development, um, I really enjoyed my time there and uh, I feel like I really developed my game. And I think also for me, it was just about getting out of my comfort zone, something different, making new friends, being in a, a different team, a different environment as well. And I think that's really important sometimes to do that. Looking at your career, it doesn't look like you've ever been afraid to do that. Just make that move, go somewhere else, try something new, spice it up, change the environment and get different experiences. Yeah, I think so. I think also, you know, having conversations with the managers at the time and what they're going to do at the club and the players. And yeah, I definitely think that, you know, for me, it was about, you know, challenging myself. What can I do to develop my game and what can I do to, to move on move my game on and I think that's really important to to really challenge yourself in that way and not just on the football field but also like as a person you know to to go to a whole different environment that people that you don't even know and really develop as a person like confidence building making new friends and I think that's a really important aspect as well you went to Loughborough University didn't you to train for three years you did your degrees there before um, football really was professional for for, for women what did that involve for you so yeah, so basically it was um, three years of alongside studying was also training with some of the best players in the country, to be honest. So we'd live on site on camp um, on the campus and we'd be up early for fitness sessions, gym, uh, we'd all train together. You know, it was it was a really great time, you know, probably the fittest I've ever been. And then we also traveled to our clubs to train. I think we trained kind of once or twice a week and then played at the weekends, but yeah, it was it a was great environment for, for me to develop my game and also, um, yeah, to, to live away from home was a big step as well. You picked up some serious injuries 
over your career. At 19, I think it was, you, you had an ACL problem. There's always been barriers to success in terms of getting into a professional game, whether you're a man or, or, or a woman. But at 19, getting an injury like that, it's really difficult to deal with, isn't it? How did you deal with being out of the game for so long? Yeah, it was really challenging, actually. I got injured at um, an under-19s Euros. Um, I think I don't even think I got to play a game. I basically got injured in training and got kind of sent home and, yeah, found out that I'd done my ACL. And basically, I missed out on going to the under-20 World Cup with England. And I w- it was pretty lonely, to be honest. I was at Loughborough kind of training, rehabbing by myself. I obviously had an S&C coach helping and physio, but it was a really lonely time for me, to be honest, and uh, kind of watch it. I sat and watched all the games and really supported all the girls, but it was it was challenging to kind of go through that injury kind of by yourself and, you know, also being relatively young as well. And for me, it was just all about how much I love the game and how much I wanted to, to get back playing and develop and improve. Um, but yeah, it, it is tough. Strikers are the kingpins, aren't they? They're the man or woman who takes the adulation when the ball hits the back of the net. They wheel away in celebration to take the applause after scoring an important goal. They get the headlines. Their image is the one on the back page. Some people plan celebrations. Some just go with it. Talk to me about the Ellen White goggles. (laughs) Yeah, so me and my husband love German football, basically. Um, We went to watch Cologne. We really love watching and traveling around Germany as well watching football and Cologne is the team that we really love and love to go watch and we were watching Cologne v Dortmund and basically Anthony Modest who was their striker at the time he's gone back now um, he scored the winner and that was his celebration and my husband's like why don't you do that for, for a bit of a laugh and then the next goal I scored was when we beat USA um, in the She Belize Cup in 2017 and then it went a bit crazy after that <laughs> Um, is it a way for you to sort of get your personality across on the pitch I think it was just a bit of a laugh to be honest it was all for my husband to start with it was just a bit of a joke and now I think I can't really not do it now (laughs) people will be like what what is she doing yeah to be honest I think now that I've done it quite a bit um, for me I get sent quite a lot of videos people doing it pictures adults kids you know in the supermarket people do it to me so it's just it is a bit random but for me it's just all about showing how much you love playing football with a smile on your face it's all about having fun and just something a bit different as well I mentioned that you moved quite a bit during your career so far you've never been afraid of going up or down the country but it's not like men's Premier League football where you've got a player liaison officer who you ring up and they sort out all your direct debits, they sort out the kids' schools and uh, probably just, just ask you for a bit of cash to get all the stuff moved into a brand new house somewhere around the corner. <laughs> Is it slightly different in the women's game? Uh, that's putting it mildly, yeah. Um... <laughs> so that's quite a lot of upheaval, isn't it? You mean you must have a really supportive husband that, that, that will quite happily follow you around. So, yeah, yeah, he's very supportive, to be honest. Um, so when I moved from Arsenal to, to Notts County, I basically travelled up back and forth pretty much every day. I stayed a couple of times at my mother-in-law's and my sister-in-law's who lived in Nottingham at the time. But I would be, literally be travelling back and forth. My husband still worked um, down south, so we kind of had our house down there at the time. And we made the move up to Nottingham like a year later. So I was still just travelling back and forth trying to make it work that way until you know obviously we need to get a deposit and and work out the finances and obviously move and then obviously decided to move to Man City and you know he he's had to change his job 
we you know sell the house buy a new house so yeah it's, it's a lot of balancing and juggling but he's so supportive and obviously I would never make a move that that he wasn't happy with at the same time it was it's always a joint decision and uh, take me back to that Arsenal uh, time you won the FA Cup twice with Arsenal uh, the WSL twice as well what, what why did it seem to work so well there you said they welcomed you back with open arms after initially leaving when you were a kid yeah, I think Arsenal will always have a special place in my heart. I think I, I kind of grew up with them. I was there from 8 to 16 and I, I loved my time there. And, you know, I had a really great relationship with Vic Akers, who basically is Arsenal ladies. And, you know, he, he welcomed me back with open arms. And we had uh, Laura Harvey, who was manager at the time. And, you know, she was really keen to have me back. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely went back in a heartbeat, to be honest. And we had some amazing players and we had a really great kind of three seasons there. Still to come on Upfront with Ellen White, she tells us about playing in the craziest game of her career. To be honest, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I actually realised how mental it was until like after the game or even when I, I can't think I came off about 60 minutes and I was just watching going, I don't know, I can't believe this is happening. You're listening to Upfront with Ellen White on TalkSport. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. In 2012, Team GB enter an Olympic team. As soon as you hear that, is it like, I've got to be a part of that? Yeah, definitely. Well, to be honest, it, it's such a weird concept of kind of a Team GB happening at that time because I don't think we ever thought about potentially going to an Olympics or being able to go to an Olympics, to be honest. I think for us, it was always about a Euros, a World Cup. So, you know, an Olympic 
to be able to say that you're an Olympian and been to the Olympics, it's it's up there with one of the the greatest achievements. So uh, yeah, it was definitely everything in my power to try and be be involved and in. and the fact that it's only 18 players and then four kind of squad members it's a really tight squad it's a small squad so you know you've got to really fight for your position and also it, it was a home olympics it was it was 2012 it was in london <laughs> yeah. it was it was wembley it was it was that that whole experience and i know that sort of like subsequently speaking to to, to members of that team that you know, it's difficult for people outside the women's game that don't realise the significance of the Olympics to everybody else in 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 the women's game. Okay, you mentioned Euros, World Cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but actually, if you're America, if you're Holland, if you're whoever, the Olympics is just as important, right? A hundred percent. I I almost think more important at times to to maybe a World Cup or something like that. Like they, they've they've lived and breathed that World Cup kind of dream and being able to kind of be going to olympics so for us it was just completely a crazy kind of uh, thing for us to think about was to go into olympics and like you say in home olympics and the fact that we've got kind of four nations coming together it was just such an unbelievable kind of achievement to make it happen and uh i don't think i understood the significance of of olympics until i was there as well i think it just blew my mind i think being in the athletes village was just insane you know walking around with just some of the greatest athletes that's ever kind of walked the earth, to be honest. And you just kind of walking around with them and being able to kind of hear their stories and what they've kind of done. And I think, yeah, I think that aspect you just don't understand until you're there. And it's it was such an amazing kind of feeling to be able to say that I've been a part of that. Like who? Who did you sit down and have a chat with? Just sat down with Usain Bolt. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, we saw Tom Daly. He was really lovely. Got uh, got to speak with a little bit of Mo Farah as well and Jess Ennis. So um, yeah, it was just really lovely to be able to hear about their training, you know, their journey a little bit, and just to see them as you know, you know, the the down to earth normal people as well, and they're they're you know at the top of their sport, and that's it's so amazing to be able to kind of see other people and what their training has been for their individual sports. You talk about that Olympic village. Uh, from what I hear, it was quite a fun experience, wasn't it? Like walking around, <laughs> you apparently could get you could get free McDonald's. Free McDonald's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone talks about that. Uh, <laughs> and you can get access to all sorts of establishments if you're just walking around in a Team GB tracksuit, right? I probably didn't take advantage of that as, <laughs> as, as much as some people did. Um, so, you know, I was probably a little bit overwhelmed with all of that. But, yeah, you could definitely take advantage of a lot of things and, and get into a lot of places by wearing the Team GB outfit or kit. And, yeah, free McDonald's, all food and drink is absolutely free. I think you're basically kind of a hero if, you, if you're walking around in Team GB at that time in the home Olympics. Um, and, yeah, I think especially if your sport or your event has finished i think there was some wild things happening <laughs> so i hear that um, <laughs> the moment uh, against brazil the seventy thousand at wembley one nil win did you think to yourself hold on a second this is a seismic moment in the women's game in this country i think it was just ridiculous to be honest um i still kind of get goosebumps thinking about it now um when me and steph talk about it now we say like that was one of our favorite moments obviously her scoring was a was a dream as well um but just hearing that roar of seventy thousand people at that time supporting the women's game it was just yeah it was unprecedented times to be honest and um you know it's it's grown it's grown so much since 2012 and 
yeah, it was definitely a moment to, to remember that one. And one of the reasons that it grew so much in that intervening period from, from then until now is the 2015 World Cup, which took place in Canada and England finished third. And it was it was a heartbreaking end to that journey, but it was an unbelievable ride, wasn't it? And it, you know, you ended up having this situation where the the nation was stopping still at midnight or whatever to watch the games that were taking place. But the fact that you picked yourselves up and went and got bronze does that show that sort of the character of that team? Yeah, I think it showed the the character, resilience, and also the team spirit that we had at the time was you know that we probably went in as kind of very much underdogs. We weren't expected to do anything really at that, at that world cup. And obviously, like you say, we had so much heart heartbreak in, you know, that semi-final, it absolutely kind of drained us all. But I think the day after we actually took a day off and we all went to a local mall and, you know, we really just tried to get out of the whole football environment and just try and, you know, maybe have just a little bit of fun just to try and, you know, escape that heartbreak and next day we were back into it and fighting for a bronze medal because who can say they've really got a bronze medal from a world cup you know that that was the dream really to if we if we can't get silver or or gold it was to to hopefully get a different medal and um, we all definitely picked ourselves up and we fought like hell to, to try and get that bronze medal three in the box here england meets cross white it's in it's a brilliant equaliser On to 2019 in the World Cup in France. New manager Phil Neville, very vocal about going to the tournament and and wanting to challenge. He started talking about that a good six months before the tournament. You hadn't played the She Believes at the time. We'll get to the She Believes in just a second because I think that was a significant moment in terms of confidence. But when he walks in and he starts saying, we're going to go and try and win the World Cup. I mean, was he saying that to you privately as well as saying that to everyone publicly? Yeah, so we, we obviously have a lot of meetings, obviously, in the in the lead up to, to the World Cup. And I think he was probably in post a year, maybe 18 months before the World Cup. So I think he tried to embed his philosophy in that 18 months. And I think we slowly started to build that self-belief and that belief of a winning mentality. And, you know, behind closed doors and in our meetings, we were very much focused on winning and believing that we were going to win. Um, and then obviously he, came, he, he obviously said that, we were going to win or we wanted to challenge as well. So I think for us, we very much stuck to what we believe behind closed doors and the way that we were training, the, the meetings that we were having and the team spirit and the togetherness was all about, you know, wanting to win and believing that we could win. The She Believes Cup did send a message out, didn't it? Because it said England are a coming force. England are here to be reckoned with. Was that the feeling that you had in the squad at the time? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We've never really won a, a tournament before to be honest so I think even if it is the she believes we we want to win and I think it gave us so much momentum and confidence moving forward and going into the world cup that we can beat the best in the world and we have beaten the best in the world we drew obviously in that tournament but we have beaten them and we've challenged and I think that gave us so much belief in in what we've been doing in meetings what we're doing in our training field and you know we've still got a good few months until the world cup so it gave us so much momentum for that. Did you think that you were going to get picked ahead of Jodie Taylor at the start of the World Cup? Did you think that after the warm-up matches you'd done enough to sort of edge in front of her? Because you'd both been sort of switched in and out, hadn't you? Yeah, no, I, I never take kind of my 
position for granted to be honest we're we're both very competitive but at the same time I would say that she's a close friend of mine as well so we always kind of checked in on each other and we wanted each other to do well I know that probably doesn't sat that for him you know you're just saying that Ellen but we genuinely did um, and I had no clue what the outcome of the World Cup would be how much contribution I could do how much game time that would get how much you know if you'd select me for how many games and you know I think a it was, um, yeah, it was important for me just to focus on what I could kind of control. And I think that was really important for me going into the World Cup was what I can control off the pitch. And then if I do have any time on the pitch, then it was what I can do on the pitch to contribute to the team. It's fallen to Ellen White, fortuitously, who's connected, scored, and this time it will count for England. Couldn't have got off to a better start. You scored in the opening game against Scotland. Did you think, yeah, we're off and running here? <laughs> well, I thought... Thank God we beat Scotland. Um, that was a tough one. <laughs> um, there was a lot of build-up to that game, actually. A lot of build-up. Obviously, it's such a massive rivalry. And, um, yeah, I think we, we got off to a good start with the fact that Nikita scored that penalty. And we had a few hairy moments in the in the last kind of 10, 15 minutes. But, yeah, we definitely got off the line. And I was really pleased to, to score a, another World Cup goal to them. Here's a chance for Ellen White. And slips the ball into the net. Japan struggling tonight. Here's Ellen White. That should wrap it up for England. It's the second goal of the game. Two goals against Japan followed. You were flying uh, uh, by this point. Everyone's doing the goggle celebration. It's on the back page of all the papers. Um, some silly commentator says, don't worry, England will be all right. They've got Ellen White. Um, then the Barmy game with Cameroon. Well, the Cameroon players are incensed and they're having a row with the referee there is some upset amongst the Cameroon staff and some upset amongst the Cameroon players and they are refusing to kick this game off what was it like to try and keep your head when everybody else is losing theirs well I think my goal caused some of the VAR just <laughs> so yeah just went a bit mental to be honest I'm not gonna lie I I I don't think I actually realised how mental it was until like after the game or even when I, I can't think I came off about 60 minutes and I was just watching going, I don't know, I can't believe this is happening. But I think prior to that game, actually, we'd spoken about our professionalism. You know, we, we knew about VAR. We'd had a really good meeting with Sean Massey, who um, gave us a lot of kind of confidence on VAR and what was to come and what we could look out for. And I think that really helped us going into the World Cup about, you know, not getting too emotional, not getting too involved in the referee or VAR or anything like that. And I, I just think that really helped us. And I think those meetings helped us. But I don't think we could have ever thought that that was going to happen when we played Cameroon. Bronze, Paris, Paris in behind the defence, into the area. Ellen White is there to tap it in. And she scored. Ellen White doubles England lead. It's Ellen White's big night. When you eased past Norway, did you start to think, hold on a second, we're cruising here? That Norway game was just crazy, to be honest, because obviously we started so well. I absolutely just missed the ball for that, for Jill's goal. Just I'll just claim that as a, as a dummy and she shouted it. But, I thought it was a step um, over. Oh, yeah. Honestly, you know, Rachel Yankee, she sent me an absolutely hilarious video of her daughter um, doing the step over and just falling over. So that made me <laughs> smile the day after. So she just absolutely sold me. It was just the weirdest game. We we expected, I don't want to be disrespectful to Norway, we just expected them to be just flying out. But I think they had a really tough extra time game the game before. Yeah. 
um, which maybe took the stuffing out of them. But, you know, we just went all guns blazing for that game. And, you know, we flew out the traps. And, you know, for us, we were like, that's probably the best we've we've played. Um, and, yeah, obviously it was a joy to, to kind of score another goal and, you know, to then go into the semifinals. We were we were really like, happy of, of where we were at the time. You're on the back pages of all the major papers in the country. Actually, you're on the front pages of all the major papers in the country. Are you aware of that? And does that have any impact on how you react, behave? Does it does it does it heighten the tension in the camp? Does it make you more excited? I was just obviously. I'm not going to lie. I was obviously aware. Obviously, I've been you know sent stuff, and obviously you know I, I tried to stay off social media just to I didn't really want that to affect me or bog me down or start searching for stuff but obviously talking to family and friends who are back home and mum and dad and my husband and stuff so I was kind of aware of what was happening um but for me I was just all about you know chilling out I pr- I was pretty much a hermit the whole time at the world cup I just stayed in my room pretty much the whole time um watching kind of Netflix or watching kind of movies and stuff so I didn't really do a lot I was very kind of just focused on you know relaxing and then you know hopefully doing what I can do on the pitch so I just tried to not focus too much on what was happening you didn't take penalties in that world <laughs> cup what why not we we obviously had a lot of uh we took a lot of penalties in training and there was a lot of statistics and coaches that looked at everything and it was the manager's decision and I wasn't one of his top lists, obviously, to take penalties. Oh, really? The it was, manager's decision. It was his decision. It wasn't because you didn't want to take one. I would, yeah, I would definitely put. Well, I, I have put my hand up and said, said that I will take penalties. Um, but, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't selected. That semi-final in uh, Leon. What was your feeling going into that match? Because this is a semi-final of a World Cup. And you've been here before. The, the whole, you know, lots of the squad have been here before, but there's 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 a lot of newbies in that squad as well. Do you have to sort of try and help those newer, younger characters? And there were a few to try and sort of deal with the nerves. I think we've had we've had a lot of meetings about dealing with pressure, uh, about what what is expected, like at, at stadiums, who we're going to face, and I think we had a lot of meetings about that and. Um, you know, a lot of the youngsters have had a lot of experience within their own clubs, in Champions Leagues, within younger age groups, within kind of England as well. So, you know, they've all had a lot of experience, but it is a different level when you come into kind of senior football in a World Cup. But I think we, you know, everyone handles pressure and nerves very differently. Some people are jumping up and down in the change room. Some people are sitting quietly, having conversations with their own music. So I think we just all understood that everyone... Um, has their own way of dealing with it um, but we've we had a lot of meetings and discussed you know how everyone feels about you know pressure what they feel um, and I think that was important what were you like were you getting psyched up did you have some did you have your, your airpods in and listening to some sort of <laughs> drum and bass record to get the, the blood pumping or what to be honest we I, I just listen to the music that we have in the changing rooms it's not the best but you know it, it'll work for me um, to be honest I'm pretty chilled. I'll just sit there, have a bit of a chat. Maybe I'll do some keepy uppies, mess around a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't go too crazy. You know, I have a Red Bull. You know, I'm, that'll probably get me psyched up a little bit. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not too out there. Obviously, I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I get really nervous for games, and I still do. Um, you know, I, I feel like that's good though, because I know that I'm ready. I know that I'm prepared. Um, and I think you know that's that's just something that you know. I admit that I do still get nervous for games and 
definitely I was nervous for, for the semi-final, but I still had that belief that we were going to win. They go ahead. And there's the header, there's the first goal, and it is Kristen Press. You equalise. Here's Ellen and she's What's yeah. the moment like when your foot connects with that ball that comes in from the left-hand side and you see it fly past the goalkeeper into the corner of the net? And it really was into the corner of the net, wasn't it? I probably can't say what I thought in my head. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you could probably see by my reaction. I'm just on cloud nine, to be honest. I think more so that we're back in the game. Not necessarily that I've scored. It was just like, it's one all. We're back in this. Um, I think that was more, it was more relief than anything, to be honest. And uh, it was one hell of a ball from Beth Mead as well. Mm. Then, of course, they score again. Here is Huron into the area. Here's Morgan with a header. And she meets it. And she scores. Alex Morgan for the United States of America. Alex Morgan does her tea celebration. Did you understand it at the time? Did you see it? Did you understand it at the time? Was it saying, I mean, for me, I must admit, it passed me by during the game. I didn't get it. I don't remember seeing it, to be honest. I wasn't, I just saw it hit the back of the net and then I kind of think I just turned around and went back to the centre spot. But yeah, it's not something that I remembered during the game. Then you equalised. Here's Ellen White, though, in between the two centre-backs. Faced up with a goalkeeper. She's only going to finish it. Oh, yes, she is. Oh, my wording at the level again. Well, mm. almost. Was Ellen White narrowly offside? The referee is going to draw the TV screen and she is going to disallow the goal. That VAR call, is it at that moment you're thinking to yourself, as soon as it goes, because you said not, you sort of, I don't know, you didn't sort of stop and think, that's, that's going to be chalked off, did you? Or were you aware that it was that tight? Oh, no, I, I, thought, that, I thought that was the goal. Um, my celebration was probably just, I think, again, it was just relief when I did score. Um, that's probably why I didn't celebrate too much. Um, but, yeah, I, I honestly didn't think that I was offside. Obviously, you know, in the tournament, the VAR, but, but since for the, for the whole time of the tournament up to that game, VAR had been very kind to us mm. so I hadn't really been concentrating on VAR um, I was just concentrating on trying to be in the right place at the right time finishing low you know that's that's what I'd been working on so yeah I was just pleased to have scored and for us to be back in the game again um, I think the overriding emotion when VAR kicks, it, kicks in is the emotional like draining of it um, and that's it's just horrendous. Wasn't the only thing that went against England, was it? I mean, then the penalty miss. Steph Horton, when she scored, England have never lost. She steps up, right-footed. Oh, it's saved. Oh, it is saved down to the right by Elisa Nyer. Did you think she's going to score? And then did you, sort of, as her mate, have quite a lot of sympathy with her and have to be one of those who consoled her? I think first and foremostly, I was more frustrated that I couldn't connect with the ball that Demi had crossed for the penalty. I think that was really irritating for me. Because it was a foul. Yeah, it was a foul. She took my leg away. So I think I was really annoyed about that. And obviously, you could probably see that I chased around the referee. Yeah. Like a Tasmanian devil, like chasing her, being like, "You please look at VAR. Penalty, I thought, right, she scored every single one in training. You know, she's super confident in penalty. She's got a lovely technique. Um, so I was really confident that, you know, she was going to step up and take it. And yeah, obviously, I think as a, as a friend and obviously, uh, you know, she's a really close friend of mine that, you know, when she did miss, I think I just tried to grab her basically and just be like, it's, it's okay. You know, I would never, ever say to anyone, like, you shouldn't have taken a penalty. You know, 
your brave with standing up and taking that penalty. Do you know what I mean? You're, everyone misses a penalty. Everyone misses. Like, it's, even the best footballers in the world miss penalties. So it's nothing against anyone to take a penalty and then they miss. That's just what happens in football. And unlucky for us, it just it just didn't happen. Joint top scorer at the World Cup, England's line leader, then off to Manchester City. What has that experience been like for you being at Manchester City? Yeah, obviously it's been, well, the the, the start was a bit rocky. Um, I, I got injured kind of 10 days into pre-season, which wasn't a great start, to be honest. Um, so I was out for about 10, 11 weeks, um, which was probably a little bit longer than I anticipated. But I think for, for me and my husband, you know, we're, we're you know, really happy to have moved up here. We've, you know, moved into our house quite recently. Um, so we're really settled and, you know, really enjoying being a part of Manchester City and really enjoying my teammates, the team and the environment and, you know, being a part of it. And how are you finding this social distancing period? Because it's difficult <laughs> if you want to play football, right? Yeah, it is challenging, to be honest. Um, you know, obviously, you've got you've got to stay at home. Um, and, you know, you can only kind of manage to find a pitch that can, can run around. Um, but, yeah, I've got equipment in my house. Um, so, yeah, it's been challenging. But I think it's important that everyone has to kind of stick to it and you know, if we ride this out, then hopefully, you know, football will return to us a bit quicker. But yeah, for us, it's just about trying to find things that don't bore us. So <laughs> that's challenging. But um, but yeah, so I've I've done some Lego, which is exciting stuff. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm working on it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just trying to keep occupied, to be honest. What Lego have you done? Because I saw that John Barrowman's husband built a Bugatti the other day and a Millennium Falcon. Blimey, I'm not that. I'm actually a snail doing it, if I'm being honest. Um, I've got Friends Lego at the moment. What? Friends um, Lego? What's that? You know, like Central Park. Yeah. The little, yeah, I've got that. Oh, that's cracking. It's actually it's actually really fun. Um, I'm hoping to get I'm hoping to get like a stadium. I'm getting hopefully a West Ham stadium to build. Obviously a West Ham fan, so that'll mm. be fun. At the end of these interviews, we've been doing the perfect hat trick, which is basically three questions to see how well you know yourself. So here's question number one. You scored uh, in the defeat to Germany last November at Wembley Stadium in what was a record crowd for women's football in this country. Uh, but was it 75,500 people that were at Wembley that night or 77,768? 77,000, whatever that other one was. Yeah, 77,768. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, you, that was crazy. You scored the third goal of the um, in, the th- in the final of the FA Cup in 2013 in a 3-0 win over Bristol Academy. Um, you were playing for Arsenal at the time. Who got the other two goals? Jordan and Steph. Smashed it. Um, Easy. Steph Horton and Jordan Nobbs. Um, and who provided the assist for the goal in the semi-final against the United States of America at the World Cup in 2019? Miss Beth Mead. She'll appreciate that, actually. I'll give her a shout out. <laughs> Beth Mead. It was some cross. cross. Left foot as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Ellen, thank you very much uh, for taking part in our uh, documentary and taking us through your career and talking to us about the, the role of a centre forward. It's been great. Good luck to you. And hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much. Cheers. You've been listening to Upfront with Ellen White on Talk Sport. And if you've missed any of the show or just want to catch up, you can download the podcast from the Talk Sport Game Day feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify. Flimsy staying slowing you down? Well, it's time to upgrade. Armadillo builds durable North American made tablet stands and kiosks. We're so confident, we offer a lifetime warranty. So, elevate your business and visit armadillo.com.
That's A-R-M-O-D-I-L-O dot com and use code ACAST for 5% off. Armadillo, built to last, designed to impress.